Hello, this is Natalie Baker, Vice President of Marketing here at Breckenridge, and welcome to our special topic, Breckenridge Podcast, Sanctuary Cities, Understanding the Street Noise. Today, I'm joined by our Head of Municipal Research, Adam Stern. Adam is also a member of our Investment Committee, and we'll be talking about some of the major issues to think about with Sanctuary Cities. So Adam, we've heard a lot of buzz in the news today about potential defunding of sanctuary cities. Could you give us an explanation of what exactly those are and what all the news is about? Yeah, so in terms of uh, the grants uh, that are at risk, it's mostly um, community development block grants, some economic development uh, assistance grants, and then some um, SCAP grants. SCAP stands for State Criminal Alien Assistance Program, and it's just the federal government helps um, uh, states and local governments uh, fund uh, costs, additional costs associated with any sort of incarceration of of undocumented immigrants. And, you know, obviously the reason this is in the news is because uh, President Trump has threatened to deny grant funding to so-called sanctuary cities, um, and these are the grants involved. It's also true, a little less reported on, but that uh, Republicans in Congress over the last few years have proposed a couple different bills uh, to get at uh, the same issue. And then the uh, likely incoming uh, attorney general, uh, Jeff Sessions, has been an, an advocate for, for these bills and, and sponsored a bill uh, known as the CLEAR Act uh, a few years ago, which would get at these sanctuary cities as well. Okay, so can we take a step back and just what exactly are sanctuary cities? Yeah, so that's a great question. So uh, a sanctuary city really runs the gamut in terms of its definition. Uh, the, the broadest definition is these are cities that are complying with all federal laws, but they're choosing not to do any more than uh, what federal law requires. And when I say sort of any more, it could be a, a little more or a lot more, but not exactly perfectly aligned with what federal immigration authorities might want. So what are the variety of policies? One form is um, if police officers, uh, if they encounter a person who is or may be undocumented, they just don't ask. They don't ask any questions about it. And that may be the policy of the local government or the state government. Um, another form of the policy would be the state or the local government doesn't require the police officer to ask, uh, but they don't prohibit it either. So if a police officer wants to, they could ask about it. A third type of policy is the officers ask, but the local police department doesn't honor what's called a, a detainer uh, request from ICE, the um, Immigration and uh, Customs Enforcement. Um, and a detainer request is a request from the federal government. Uh, hey, can you hold this person for it's up to an additional 48 hours, you know, past whatever time they're supposed to be held? And, uh, you know, so that we can we can get somebody out there and pick them up and possibly start the deportation process. Depending on the detainer request and how long the person's held, there are some uh, questionable Fourth Amendment concerns uh, with detainer requests, apart from a bunch of other issues. But the big picture is, is there's all sorts of different types of sanctuary cities, and it, it sort of refers to this broad uh, brush of policies. I see. So why are sanctuary cities even allowed not to comply, though? It seems weird that a city can tell the federal government that it won't help to deport people when they're not here legally in the first place. Yeah, I mean, it is sort of one of these commonsensical things. I, I think that's a great question. So, you know, apart from the humanitarian arguments, you know, associated with immigration uh, policy and deportations, breaking of families, uh, you know, that sort of thing, 
you know, the crux of the problem comes down to, at least legally, the Constitution's design and Congress's inability over the last, you know, really two decades to craft a durable immigration law. So uh, the Constitution gives the federal government, you know, control over uh, who gets to be here, immigration law. But the Tenth Amendment uh, reserves the power to the states, you know, nothing um, specifically delegated uh, in the Constitution to the federal government. And that includes, uh, importantly, police powers, the power to protect public uh, health and safety. So um, in the absence of some, you know, a clarifying law, a, a number of states have made the determination and, and given local governments the authority to make their own determination that not asking about immigration status or, or not cooperating with these detainer requests is the best way to protect public safety. Other states think differently. Uh, in fact, when you do the research, there's a wide variety of uh, policies. Some states and local governments think cooperating with federal enforcement is the right way to go. Others think it's it's not. And even across uh, law enforcement association groups, uh, you get a wide variety of opinions. It's really, at this point, a local issue. But the, the important constitutional point is that the states are empowered to choose uh, what they think is best for their citizens and residents. Now, having said that, the, the federal government can certainly try and place some incentives on states to cooperate uh, by tinkering with grant funding, but it can't conscript local officers into sort of doing its bidding. Again, this is all Tenth Amendment stuff. The only thing I would add here is, you know, the more you get into the details, uh, the more confusing the arguments get. So, for example, those who think Tenth Amendment issues are overblown, um, and say you're really just asking a city to notify the federal government that they know someone's here illegally, so that's not conscription. And, you know, it's just a general commonsensical point. You know, somebody commits a crime and they're not supposed to be here and they're let out. Can't the police do something to help them? Right. And then you've got the counter argument, though, is that, hey, look, if, if there's really a public safety emergency caused by illegal immigration, the state and local officials uh, are going to have a strong incentive to crack down and cooperate with the federal government. So that's a lot, but it's a complicated issue, um, and it's, it's certainly something that uh, we expect to be around and we're, we're thinking about. To be clear, you know, we're not taking any sides in, in this debate, uh, by the way. We're just try, interested in trying to understand uh, what the credit impact is, but it is certainly interesting stuff from a policy perspective. So definitely important to think about all the politics in play here. So you mentioned the federal government can cut grants, and that's obviously what Trump has talked about. What's the potential defunding look like? Can this legally even happen? Yeah, so you know, our view is we're not too worried about the defunding. The main reason is that um, the, the grants that are at risk are not too substantial. Uh, so for example, look at uh, the city of New York, controller of New York City put something out and said, hey, we've got you know, upwards of seven billion in federal funding that could be at risk. Uh, but that seven billion, if you look at it, it's it's a, a lot less than that. That would actually be uh, community development block grants that would likely be at risk, or uh, economic development or uh, SCAP grants. And you know, in New York City, probably has the most at risk of anyone in the country. Uh, other places, if you just look at their line item for all their federal funding, maybe you know one percent less than 1% of the, of the budget. It just depends. Big cities probably more exposed than smaller ones or, or counties. So that's sort of, you know, who's, who's at risk. In terms of um, the extent of the cuts, uh, the legal issues are it can't be overly coercive. So um, any cut uh, or denial of federal funding, you know, has to be related to the purpose of the grant. 
Um, so you can't sort of, you know, threaten Medicaid funding, which is unrelated to the immigration problem. Um, you'd, it, you know, these are specific grants that are at risk. And the other thing is the, ca- the cut can't be so substantial that it uh, devolves into a form of, of coercion. It has to be reasonable. And um, this used to actually be theoretical legal argument, but actually in 2012, uh, the Medicaid expansion case with the Affordable Care Act uh, basically, you know, established these rules as as precedent. So, so we're pretty confident there's not going to be a huge uh, uh, cut of any sort. Okay, definitely important to think about some of these limits. Well, you mentioned big cities. We heard Boston Mayor Marty Walsh say that cities like Boston and New York are the economic engines for the country. Isn't this something that could give pause to this defunding? The fact that the federal government could actually be cutting funding to some of the most important cities in the U.S. economy. Yeah, you know, I, I think that is uh, a risk. You know, again, we'd feel we'd feel more strongly if uh, if we thought the cuts were going to be were going to be pretty substantial. You know, one thing we are actually more concerned about is a related issue, which is public shaming. So President Trump has also said that he's going to weekly publish a list of all the crimes committed by um, uh, illegal immigrants across the country every week. And uh, what we're concerned about here is uh, really two things. One is sort of a state-local problem uh, that this could cause, and the second is just general erosion and sort of social cohesion and public trust, which, which does have economic impacts. So the first one on, on state-local relations uh, immigration uh, is a policy that uh, you know causes um, a lot of uh, passion uh, in the in the public debate on on both sides. And uh, one thing we're concerned about is that you know in some of these uh, suburban or more rural areas uh, in certain states, you know, publishing a list of of criminal acts by undocumented immigrants will cause people to say, this is ridiculous, we need to crack down on our cities here. So we're actually seeing this in Texas, where the governor of Texas has said, you know, hey, Austin is a sanctuary city, and and we don't want that anymore. Uh, So we're going to crack down on them. And unlike the federal government, a state has broad authority to cut grants or do whatever it wants to to local governments, really for any reason, immigration or otherwise. So to the extent that this riles up people's passions, uh, this shaming issue, uh, we are concerned it could uh, disrupt uh, otherwise stable uh, state-local relations, especially with big cities. The other piece is there, there is a good amount of data suggesting that Reversing sanctuary city policies creates a, a feeling of unwelcomeness in immigrant communities. The data is a little bit more mixed in terms of whether or not there's a chilling effect in having uh, folks in the immigrant community report to police, but certainly a feeling of, I just don't feel welcome here, I don't feel like I belong here. There's good data to show that reversing a sanctuary city policy does erode uh, some level of, of social cohesion and, and social trust. And uh, social trust, we're learning more and more uh, from the economic literature, uh, plays a role in promoting economic health and, and growth. And so uh, as part of um, Breckenridge's environmental social governance uh, analyses for, for munis, um, you know, we look at things like violent crime, um, and we look at the extent of uh, social associations in a community, and uh, this is why we do it. Um, because 
you know, it, it does, uh, at least over time, it, it can have some credit uh, impact. And so uh, those are some metrics that we're, we're interested in exploring further um, if this public shaming goes on for a long period of time or we have a real uh, transformation in, in sanctuary city uh, policy across the country. So uh, it's something we're watching and, and are interested in. All right. Well, thanks so much, Adam. We hope that you in the field have found it informative to hear Adam Stern unpack one of the top issues on the minds of municipal investors. Please also consult our companion blog post located on our website titled Sanctuary Cities, Social Cohesion, and Credit Fundamentals. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to you joining us on our next podcast.